Hello, welcome back to our series looking at the parables of Mark. Uh, this week we're in Mark chapter 12 and we're looking at the parable of the wicked tenants. But before we get to this parable, I think it's really important for us to understand the context in which Jesus tells this parable because there are a series of events that lead up to this moment. And in order to understand that, I think it's best if we start in Mark chapter 11. So what we have in Mark chapter 11 is that Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on, his, uh, on a donkey, uh, what we would call the triumphant entry. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus already starts to help us understand a bit of his identity and his authority here. The fact that he was uh, the Messiah coming in, uh, but he wasn't coming in on a military horse or with a great army, but instead he was coming in on a donkey. And uh, after Jesus comes in and starts to change this perspective of who he is, we then find him in the temple courts where he is flipping tables and rebuking the religious leaders. You know, he's, he's saying, what have you done to the house of God? And essentially clears them out of the temple. And this leads to the religious leaders asking a question of who does Jesus think he is? Essentially, where does his authority come from? Because these religious leaders, they were educated, politically powerful and influential people. And they were essentially saying is, who is this man who is a carpenter's son and a carpenter coming in and telling us what we should do and shouldn't do, especially in the temple of God? And this leads them to ask the question about, Jesus, where do you get your authority from? And this is where we see that Jesus shares this parable to help uh, the religious leaders and us to see his authority. This week, I have uh, titled my sermon, The Rejected Stone, Recognising the Authority of Jesus. And the reason I have done that is because uh, as Jesus shares this passage, uh, this parable to show us his authority, I want us to understand his authority in our lives and then be able to respond to that just as the, uh, just as kind of the people of God did. So let's read Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be uh, verse 1 all the way through to verse 12. So it says, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent servants to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and then inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to the others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes. 
And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told a parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the word of God. So just to quickly sum up what we've had uh, Jesus share in this parable. He's shown us that there is a vineyard owner who has planted a vineyard, has cultivated it, and then he has leased it to tenants. But then when it's time for uh, the fruit to be harvested, he sends his messengers or servants to, to collect the fruit. But the tenants, instead of being able to, to give the, uh, the owner what's rightfully his, they decide to take for themselves and essentially beat and kill the servants. But then we see that uh, the, the vineyard owner, he has one more uh, person that he wants to send. Basically, the, the person who has the most authority that can go and collect the fruit, and it is the son. You know, the rightful heir to the vineyard. But what we see is that these uh, tenants essentially plot uh, to kill and take that inheritance for themselves, and then they act it out. So when Jesus is telling this parable, he, he knows that the hearers of this and the religious leaders will know exactly what Jesus is talking about because this parable is based off of Isaiah 5 verse 1 to 7. And what we see is that uh, Jesus is showing them that as they read this in light of Isaiah 5 verse 1 to 7, the people of God and the religious leaders will know that God is the owner of the vineyard, that the vineyard is Israel, which is the people of God, that these servants that had been sent one after the other, uh, they provide a picture of the prophets that have come before uh, sharing uh, the, the good news and the message of God to the people of God, and they too, in some shape or form, were rejected by them. And then uh, we know that the tenants uh, will know that, they, uh, that Jesus is talking about them. And we see that later on, that we see that through their response, the fact that they, they understood that the parable was being told against them. And then we see that Jesus talks about uh, this cornerstone, this uh, stone that has been rejected as he quotes Psalm 118. And essentially, uh, what we're seeing is that uh, Jesus is helping the people, uh, the religious leaders understand uh, where his authority comes from. And he does so by firstly talking about him being the cornerstone. And I'm sure, as we all know, uh, the cornerstone was either the final piece to be laid um, into a building, and it was often the, the place in which uh, the, the piece of the stone that held everything together. And particularly uh, in this context, it was the piece that held the temple all together. Without this piece, the temple would essentially crumble and fall apart. So we start to see that Jesus is revealing that he is ultimately the new temple. This is uh, his authority. And he does this very deliberately because what he's showing is that just as uh, he cleared out the temple uh, where uh, it was bricks and mortar and it was being used uh, for dishonest gain, really. He's saying, no, I am the new temple. That the people no longer come to a building to access God, they now come to me. And this is where all authority lies. 
And then we also see that Jesus uh, is alluding to himself being the son, that his authority again comes from the father to be able uh, to collect all that God has given to him. So what does this uh, kind of mean for us? Because I know that as we uh, often will read uh, passages like this, we, we might think, oh, this is just a passage for the religious leaders, uh, that, that God is talking to a particular group of people and it doesn't apply to me. And uh, because what we see here is that the religious leaders, particularly in this passage, are, are leaning into the authority of Herod in terms of what they were doing in the temple courts instead of God's authority. And Jesus is challenging their idea of where they place their authority. And uh, maybe for us, we think, no, I'm not like the Pharisees. I don't do that. But I do just want to probe that question a little bit further is, are we maybe more like the Pharisees than we think? Do we place uh, the authority of our lives on other things rather than God? And when we look at parables, we see that Jesus often tells them because he wants us to understand that in order to uh, step into the kingdom of God, there's a decision to be made. Are you going to step in or are you going to step out? And I want to ask us today, how will we respond? Will we be like the religious leaders? Or will we be uh, able to step into God's kingdom? And we, we see that these uh, parables, uh, that they, they require us to either step in or step out, essentially uh, submitting to God's authority. And I want us to just look at three things to be able to understand what does it mean to submit to God and, and how can we do so uh, to, to submit to God in the light of this passage. And there are three things that I would like to pick out. The first one is that God is faithful and patient. You see, in this passage, uh, we see that God doesn't just send one messenger, he sends multiple messengers. He sends multiple servants. I think the reason that, that uh, Jesus tells a parable in this way is he wants to remind uh, the people of God that God is faithful, that God is patient, that God is merciful. And that is a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. Do you remember our series in Hosea? Uh, where uh, particularly those first few weeks, it felt like every week we were seeing Israel turn their back on God. But every week it ended with, when Israel turned their backs on God, God still pursued them with his steadfast love. Because that is, uh, that is who God is, that he is patient, that he's merciful, and that he's kind. And that is the Jesus, that, and that is the God that we follow today that God hasn't changed, that God, uh, the God that is patient and merciful and faithful in these passages is the same God that you and I follow today. The second thing I would like to look at for us to be able to understand what is it, submit, uh, what is it to submit to God is to understand the authority of Jesus. And in this passage, Jesus talks about himself being the rejected stone that becomes the cornerstone. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is that he is talking about the gospel, 
the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that you and I were far off from God because of our sin and that we had no access to God but through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, that all people, once they put their trust in him, are able to be in relationship with the living God. And uh, the fact that the journey goes from being a rejected stone to ultimately being the cornerstone shows us the trajectory of Jesus' authority. The fact that he was rejected, that people despised him, but in his humility and in his death and resurrection, he ultimately ultimately become, becomes the centre of everything, the one holding it all together. You know, there's good news that Jesus uh, is showing us here that when we understand his authority, it means that uh, that sin has no hold on you and I. That essentially uh, fear, guilt or shame have no hold on us. The gospel removes all of those things from us. And it does so because of the authority of Jesus. I really love um, Hebrews 1. Um, I'm currently reading this in my devotional time. And I was just struck um, by the way that um, the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus right in the first uh, opening verses within the first four verses. It talks about Jesus who is holding all of creation together he then dies for our sins. In the, um, in the ESV, it talks about a purification for sins. And then it says that he then sits down at the right hand of the Father. What I love about that passage is that it is showing us that all of this has happened in past tense, in terms of Jesus has once and for all defeated death. He has removed sin from our lives. And ultimately, when we understand the authority of Jesus, we live in light of that. We live in the light of his authority that he has defeated death. It's not something that, oh, Jesus, uh, will you one day do this? No, Jesus has defeated death. That is the authority that Jesus has. And how did he do it? He did it through humility, through grace, and through the giving of himself. I do just want to make a quick note on the idea of authority, particularly for people maybe in my generation. Because uh, when we look around, we often will view authority with a sense of skepticism because we've seen authority abused and we often want to push ourselves far away from it. And what I want to say about that is those human beings that have abused authority and have let us down, they are human beings and they are flawed and they are broken and they will let us down. But Jesus is not the same. Jesus is perfect, he is trustworthy, he is kind, and he will always do what he says he will do. And we see that we can trust him because we see that that is how he's lived it out. That Jesus didn't come for political power or influence or military gain. He came into the margins as a humble carpenter and gave his life for us. That is the type of authority that I want to put my trust in. So we see that God is faithful, that he's patient, and in light of understanding uh, Jesus' authority, we see in this passage that there is a response to be made. And essentially we see uh, the, the various characters respond in this passage. So we see that 
Israel, which is the people of God, is now us, that we are now the people of God. And a response for us looks like a fruit in our lives. Essentially, this passage, uh, it talks about the idea that God expects that when we follow him and submit to Jesus and his authority, there will be fruit in our lives because the way in which we engage with God will then affect the way that we live. You know, we also see that there are these servants who uh, respond by saying yes to God to be able to go. And I want to say for us, are we willing to be able to be sent by God into our workplaces, into our schools, into our colleges, into our friendship groups? Are we willing to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into these places? Because I do want us to remember that you and I who are following Jesus, we have good news to share with people around us. But are we willing to be like these servants who are willing to share that good news despite the repercussions? That maybe we might lose friends, we might lose aspects of our lives, and that maybe for some of us who are called to, to be sent to another nation, that that might come with the risk of losing our lives. Are we willing to be sent like these servants? But then we also see that we can respond like the religious leaders, that they choose to step into their own authority and be governed the way that they want things to be governed rather than stepping into the kingdom of God. And ultimately we see what happens when we step out of the kingdom of God. That, you know, this passage talks about judgment, that God will come and judge the world. But you know, when we read this passage and we hear of God's judgment, we, we do so knowing that there is a place to find shelter and a safe haven. You know, the picture of Noah and the ark, the fact that God's judgment comes onto the world and then the ark is a safe haven to escape that judgment. Jesus is our safe haven to be able to escape the judgment of God. That if we put our trust in Jesus, we will be found righteous because we are clothed in Jesus's righteousness. But we cannot escape this reality that if we choose to not step into the kingdom of God, if we respond by wanting ourselves to be the, our own authority, God will come and judge us. But he has provided a safe haven through Jesus Christ. So we see that God is faithful and patient. We understand Jesus' authority. And there's a question of how can we respond? So I want to look at what does this mean for us on a day-to-day -day basis? What does it mean for us to accept this authority of Jesus, recognizing who he is? I think the Heidelberg Catechism helps us understand what it means to follow Jesus. And this is what it says. It says that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own but belong unto my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all of my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yeah, that 
all things must be subservient to my salvation and therefore by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Essentially what this passage is saying uh, or this answer in the Heidelberg Catechism is saying that because of Jesus' work in our lives and by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of God's grace and covering over us, we love our lives in submission to God. So John Calvin, who is someone uh, who is far smarter than me and helps us understand this, this is what he helps us understand about the idea of living uh, not for ourselves, but for God. It says, we are not our own. And so far as we can, let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule all of our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our lives accordingly strive towards him as our only lawful goal. So again, it means essentially that every area of our lives is submitting to the authority of Jesus. And essentially, uh, submitting to Jesus means that we give up the way in which we want to live our lives. So like I said earlier, the, uh, the religious leaders in this passage, essentially what they're doing is they are going their own way. They are trusting in their own authority because it serves them. They are saying that essentially we're trying to preserve ourselves rather than live for the kingdom of God, which is to live for God and therefore for the people around us. And so I want us to look at what does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis uh, to be able to, uh, to, to submit to God in, in various areas of our lives. And I just want to look at three areas, which I think in some shape or form cover all of the areas. And these three areas are our time, our talents and our treasures. So firstly, what does it look like to submit to God and Jesus' authority when it comes to the idea of time? You know, um, uh, could we uh, just be using our time to, to scroll on social media or binge watching uh, whatever we want um, or, or basically doing what we want with our own time so long as it serves me? Or do we want to be a people who... Uh, are using our time for the glory of God. And I think on an individual level, are we, are we spending time in the word of God? Are we spending time uh, building ourselves up? I think like I've shared before, is that sometimes if, I, if I've watched too many episodes or something, it's often then harder to, to get up and read the Bible in the morning, uh, for me particularly. And I'm not saying that you have to read the Bible in the morning particularly, but for me, I know if I don't read the Bible in the morning, it's very unlikely that I get to it at any point in the day. And it's not that that earns our salvation in any shape or form, but I know that when I read the word of God daily, it shapes who I am. I see the grace of God in my life. I see that like the Heidelberg Catechism says, that there is a sense of comfort that, that not a single hair falls from my head without the will of God but then also that my life is living for Jesus. So are we using our time for ourselves or to be able to build ourselves up? But also what does that look like in a kind of community setting? 
Uh, one of the things that I think is a result of the pandemic is that all of us find it far easier to say no to things, don't we? Uh, we feel like we've got permission. And in some shape or form, I think that's okay in some areas. But I think it's it can also go a bit too far that we essentially say, no, uh, this is my time. I don't want to serve other people. And uh, that is countercultural to submitting to God because essentially the lives that we live reflect Jesus and Jesus lived a life for the sake of others. I, I know for me, this is something I really have to, to battle against. Um, because uh, it may not appear it, but I am slightly more introverted. And sometimes wanting to, to serve other people, particularly with my time, can be quite challenging. But I know that, that God has called me to live for himself, that submitting to Jesus' authority means that I will serve those around me. And I wonder for us, how can we serve our workplaces, our friendship groups, our communities um, with our time. So uh, the first thing is time. Will we submit to God's authority by the use of our time and using it to glorify God and not just for ourselves? The second one is talents. And uh, one of the things uh, that I love about all of us at Kings and the people of God is that each and every one of us has some sort of gift uh, that we can use uh, to be able to, to basically bless those around us. And uh, I want us to think about, are we using our talents to basically benefit ourselves? So many of us, um, our, our talents end up being outworked in our places of work or our schools or our hobbies. Are we using our talents just to further our own gain and to basically climb up the corporate ladder or to climb into places of influence? Or are we using our talents to be able to glorify God through everything that we do, through our actions and the way that we conduct ourselves? I also want us to think about the gifts that we have in terms of being able to, uh, to bless the church. You know, many of us uh, have something that can contribute to church life. When it comes to our talents, do we think about it in the sense of, no, I'm just going to turn up to church and then leave? Or can we think about how can we serve the church, whether that's on uh, the band, PA, welcome, leading a group or serving team? There are multiple ways that we can use our gifts and talents to be able to glorify God. Because again, when we submit to the authority of Jesus, what we see is that our time and our talents are to be stewarded for God's glory and for God's kingdom. And the last one that I wanna look at is the idea of treasures. And uh, this is uh, essentially the idea of money. And uh, Jesus talks loads about money, the idea that we cannot serve both money and God. And I'll, I just want us to ask the question, how do we use our money? Are we just using it to accumulate for ourselves and to uh, basically get the things that we want. You know, those things are not bad, but when, they are, when we use our money solely to serve ourselves, we, we miss uh, what God is calling us to be, which is a generous people. And I just want to ask, how can you uh, submit to God's authority by being generous with your treasures? 
I know for Emma and I, this is outworked in two ways uh, for us that I find the most helpful and the most regular. Emma and I, in terms of uh, the giving of our money, we will give to two places. The first one is our local church that we will take um, a portion of our salary and say, uh, God, this is for your kingdom because of your generosity to us. And we want to see your kingdom furthered, particularly in London and beyond. But the second place that Emma and I will give uh, our money is uh, particularly to mission overseas. This is an area Emma and I are really passionate about. And the way that we want to play our part is through the giving of our money, because that's what is appropriate to us. And so I just want to ask us today, what does it look like for you to steward your treasures as you submit to the authority of God? But I do just want to sum up uh, and make a quick note about these three areas that I've spoken at. Because uh, when we look at submitting to God in the area of time, our talents and our treasures, it can be scary and it can feel difficult and worrying. But we see that Jesus has an answer to these worries. In Mark 10, uh, Peter says to Jesus, uh, Jesus, we have given everything up for you. Like, what will we get? And Jesus says to Peter, don't worry, Peter. The houses that you've given up, the family that you've lost, the land that you've lost, you will get it back as well as persecution, but all that you've given up for the sake of the gospel, you will get all that you need. What I love about this uh, passage that Jesus shows us in Mark 10 is just the fact that when we live obedient lives to God, he will give us all that we need because we have a God who is gracious, kind, merciful, and loves his children. And he will help us as we follow him, not only in this life, but also to eternity. So I want us to look at what does it mean to respond to today? That what does it look like for us to ultimately submit to God's authority? Maybe you're hearing this for the first time and you think that you want to put your trust in Jesus. If that is you, could I encourage you to please contact the church office? Uh, we would love to, uh, to hear and, and walk you through what it means to follow Jesus. I think a second uh, way to be able to understand what it means to respond to Jesus is by attending the Alpha course. So at Kings, we're running the Alpha course um, on a Wednesday from the 4th of October at the Catford site. I'll be leading that. And we will look at what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to submit to his authority? We'd love to have you there to be able to ask questions and to journey this together. But for those of us who are here and are following Jesus, I want us to come afresh to ask, what does it look like for us to submit to every area, uh, in, in every area of our lives for the glory of God? What does it mean to recognize Jesus's authority in our lives? And as we uh, respond, I'm confident that as we lay things before God, they will come by spirit and help us to be a people of God who live for his glory and for his kingdom. And even any of the worries that we might have as we understand what it means to follow Jesus, I'm confident that God will work that out for us. So let me pray 
and then we'll respond. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are an authority that we can trust. Thank you that you are good, that you are faithful. God, I do pray that as we look at what it means to live lives for you, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you uh, reveal areas of our lives that need to submit to you again. And I pray that you give us courage and boldness to be able to do so. In the name of Jesus, amen.